Welcome to the Spillcast. The Spillcast is a production of the Office for Spiritual Life at George Fox University with pastors Jamie Nollingoth, Rusty St. Cyr, Jamie Johnson, and Gabby Viesca. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Spillcast. This is episode five in season one, in which we have been exploring spiritual disciplines. And um, last episode, we got a chance to hear from Pastor Gabby about Ignatian spirituality. And today we are checking in with Pastor Rusty St. Cyr. And we're going to be talking about the discipline of confession. And uh, in some of your churches and faith communities, you may have grown up talking about things like accountability. Um, But what we want to focus on today is what does it look like to practice a discipline of confession, of recognizing our sins and regularly taking them to God. So Rusty is here um, to have this conversation with us. Rusty, tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, why you want to talk about something like confession. Yeah, well, um, I am sitting here in my son's office we call it it's a it's a closet that we've made into a lego building office it's very apropos for this conversation because i feel like i'm (laughs) talking to a priest confessing (laughs) and i'm in this little tiny quarters and maybe jamie you can hear my sins and give me (laughs) Um, when i think of confession i do think of that um catholic heritage to it that maybe my pentecostal roots didn't quite have the same approach but later in college, I ran across uh, some readings of a guy named Richard Foster, who introduced a lot to a lot of us some deeply spiritually rooted practices that for everyone um, and could be used across those lines, those denominational lines. And um, I think also along with him, the um, back in the day, like the promise keeper movement was yeah. influential in 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 uh getting me and a bunch of football players in college to get down to business and being real with each other. And then also the 12 step recovery, celebrate recovery and 12 step and other kind of uh, transformational communities, recovery communities have also influenced my thinking on what does confession mean? Uh, And not just, uh, and not just those, but also liturgical churches have uh, helped influence what I think about confession. Cause I don't think of it only as confessing, uh, sin. Also, I think of it as confessing faith or confessing mm-hmm. um, what I'm putting my faith in, even when I'm not feeling it, stuff like that. So like with liturgical churches that confess uh, their the faith through creeds and stuff out loud together, uh, also collective confession as well as individual confession. Those are all things that I've run around and come across and have influenced more of a mysterious whole big picture view of how confession leads us to the real point, which is forgiveness and healing. It's not really about confession. It's about something else. That's good. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I was going to ask you, I've said all that, but maybe before jumping in, I was going to pick your brain as to when you hear the word confession was the first thing that comes to mind. Cause yeah, the, the first thing, yeah, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, um, uh not wanting other people to know the stuff that i have done i think about 
I, I was you say like the very first time I remember confessing something I was um, a grade schooler I don't know exactly which grade it was but I had I had stolen from my neighbor from my neighbor's bike the little spoke uh, noisemakers that went on the spokes of our bikes that when they turn round and round they would plink 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 and Ooh, yeah I, highly yeah. thought out high in demand yeah they were incredible Items. and i wanted them so badly and my parents would not let me buy them i don't know why they couldn't have been that expensive it must have just been on principle like you don't need that fancy of a bike and so um one night i went over to his house and i stole them and the next day we were actually riding bikes together me and my neighbor and his name was ben and um and he looked at me and he looked at my bike and then he looked at his bike and he was like wait a minute there's something different here and he confronted me he was like uh where did you get those from and i remember in that moment having to to ha- make a choice like i'm either going to say i you know i bought them or to confess to him like i've i've actually took them from you and uh, and my initial response to him was oh yeah i i went and bought some on my own and then he said that's <laughs> That's odd because mine are gone. Someone stole mine. <laughs> um, and, and, and at that moment, I was like, there's nowhere to hide um, and confess to him. It was me. And I think one of the things that was really incredible about that encounter uh, was that he, he was like, you know what? It's all right. And he actually let me keep two of them. He took the rest of them back on his bike. But there was a sense of like, even though I had wronged him, that that confession to him that sort of owning up to what i had done it actually um in in a weird kind of way it made our relationship a little bit stronger um so you go back to the word association like i think Mm -hmm. uh, the initial thing i think of is a little bit of shame like wanting to hide when i think about confession but but if i plummet just a little bit more there's a sense of like restoration and i think you you talked about that as well like there there is this sense where our confession is not just a, here's what I've done, but it also is a, here's who we are. Right. And, mm-hmm. and when we, when we all are confessing, there's this sense of, of togetherness that, that we have. Mm-hmm. What about for you? Well, first let me acknowledge that we have, I, what I hear you saying is that we have a kleptomaniac turned pastor. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm so totally. glad God's changed your life <laughs> since your bike stoke stealing days. <laughs> Uh, no, I like how you brought it back to what I think is central. You alluded to that it kind of opened the door to repair the relationship with that guy, even though it was you know a childhood story. It's still important. The core of this for me uh, is uh, shalom in all our relationships. So to have wholeness in our relationship with God, self, others, and the rest of creation means you can't break that connection or you can't uh, sever that tie i think when i think of those ties being severed i think of sin uh i think of that being at the core of what sin is this it's it's actions that sever or divorce us in relationship to god and self and others in creation but they're also a, it's a state of being severed not just the action like mm-hmm. and it's individual and big big system collective level uh, I also have a nice little childhood. This is not childhood. This was like pubescent years. Um, right when you're veering into that world of, you know, junior high, we didn't really have proms at this one school I went to, but there was like sports banquet. That's what it was called. And uh, 
everybody started asking each other to go on these uh to go to would you be my date for this thing and i was asked i wanted to ask this one girl and i think she knew i wanted to ask her and then it was it was all gonna work out i think but i still had to just ask her but then my best friend um went to go ask his to be date to go on sports bank with her with him and uh he asked his parents permission first and his parents said, no, you can't do it. Like he's too young or something like that. So I just immediately assumed, uh, my parents are going to say no too. (laughs) So, so I called up this girl I wanted to go to sports bag with and said, sorry, my, my parents won't let me. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I think she was kind of let down more than I even expected. Um, and then her mom that evening called my parents on the spot. Wow. <laughs> so before I could even uh, take ownership to confess, I was kind of, uh, my parents walked in and go, what's going on? Why did you say that? And uh, I just had to spill the beans and say, well, my friend Joel, I think wasn't allowed. So I figured I wasn't, I was kind of ashamed to even ask and whatever. But in, in the unraveling of that, um, we were actually able to go to the show up at the sports banquet and bring the whole eighties corsage and pin that on and everything. It all worked <laughs> out. Uh, but that to say, like, there's this, there's definitely, even at the small childhood story level, you, you bring into the, you bring into the picture, this big elephant called shame, you know, shame is involved. Like why mm-hmm. I was joking earlier that kleptomaniac turned pastor, but, when you think about this as a pastor, it is tough to think of confession. Like one of the things we do in, in um, not just Christian circles, but in human circles is we like to have, we like to protect our images, like what are yeah. kind of our candy shell, what, what, we, what we are projecting out there that people see and know us as. And if your role is pastor or a good person or a good neighbor or a good upstanding citizen or whatever, um, there's not a lot of room for being the whole person that we are, which also means we have vulnerabilities. We have flaws. We make bad decisions. We are selfish. Uh, So, I mean, I know our confession probably hasn't stopped at our childhood. We've had to find other routes for it. Um, So I'm sure it also, as pastors, we think this thing stems from scripture and from tradition. So where, from the scriptures, do you draw anchor of this practice of confession that leads to forgiveness and healing? Yeah, I think um, the one of the most poignant examples of, uh, I guess, the healing nature of confession is found for me in the end of the Gospel of John, when when Jesus, after he's resurrected from uh, from the grave, uh, is coming back and visiting his disciples and. And we know from earlier that Peter has denied him. And, uh, and, and I imagine Peter feeling this sense of like, you know, people now know what I've done. And there is this breach of trust. There is, there is something I've gone too far, right? There's this sense where I'm just going to go back to my normal life. Uh, I, I'm not a part of this anymore because when push came to shove, (laughs) I, I opted out. I decided Mm -hmm. to, to pursue my own thing instead of to proclaim my faith in Christ. And Jesus comes to him, the resurrected Jesus comes to him and, 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 and offers to him forgiveness for what 
he had done. And, and, and it's not a forgiveness that is conditional. It's not one that says, um, you know, first prove to me that you are willing to, you know, be different. First prove to me that you are willing to not deny me anymore, but, um, but is uh, an extension of his love and care and, and forgiveness for him that is unconditional. And it says to him, I, I forgive you. And not only that, I'm, I am sending you out as a broken person, as someone who recognizes the sin that you've had, who's confessed that sin to me, I'm sending you out now to do the work that I originally called you to. And I think, I think for me, uh, and again, um, there's this tendency to want to uh, hide, hide my sin. Um, and I think even sometimes like there's a tendency to want to hide my sin from God, mm. right? Yeah. Like there's a sense of, of wanting to make sure I've got all those things figured out before I then come to God in worship or in prayer, whatever it might be. But even recognizing there, like um, I, I can't hide, I shouldn't hide. There's no reason to hide that um, from God. Uh, and, and also like uh, the tendency or desire to want to hide it from other people, especially those with whom I'm in community and living life with. And, and the danger, the danger that is um, to me and to them, but also like, again, when I, when I think about that story of, of Peter and Jesus at the end of the gospel of John, that, that there is this, um, uh, there is this closeness that they have because of that confession because of that that coming face to face with the ways in which they um would peter wronged jesus um he broke covenant or broke relationship with jesus in that way and how jesus restored him back to um to shalom like you had talked about yeah what about you well the first thing that comes to mind is the prayer jesus taught his disciples um, it's, to me, is so central for a lot of things. You just see in a prayer that Jesus modeled for his disciples, like this simple prayer holds like so many things in it that are so fundamental to God's work in the kingdom of God in the world. And at the center of this prayer is, and forgive us. It's asking for forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who trespass against us. For me, that, um, and that, and then you have James, I think five and first John talk about this mutual confession, uh, which for me models something um, unique uh, because w- what happens when I think you start confessing your vulnerabilities, if you're the only one doing it and somebody else is receiving that confession, immediately they're in a power position. They mm-hmm. have something on you. They have, you have just like handed over your, newborn baby to them (laughs) you're like here is my weak you know vulnerable self Uh, please don't hurt me with it like please you know don't judge me don't you know so to me the new testament and jesus like modeled the way forward like here's what you can do to practice a a way of of community two-way street confession so like Mm -hmm. uh rather than one-sided confession which it can be helpful in some situations but i think you definitely have to watch out for the power differential in those situations, but this mutual confess your sins one to another, yep. uh, forgive us Lord of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So it's like this, it, it takes, I think a bit of the power abuse 
possibility out of the situation because the work that I need done in me, I'm also a part of God's work in, in you in that same way. So we're sharing that vulnerable yeah. space yeah. and holding each other, you know, in that safe kind of container to do that together. I think there's a lot of other ones. I mean, I think it's like a, a what is it? Like a third of Jesus's parables are about forgiveness. Yeah. Like yeah. more than a lot of the other things we uh, put a lot of uh, emphasis on. Obviously this is pretty central and it's not, they're not about confession. They're about forgiveness. And right. so it seems like confession might be the, the discipline or the precursor. I was thinking of an image yeah. that came to mind uh, when I was running the other day, because we have this new, uh, activity was it get off your butt challenge that Rob said get off your butt challenge got us going on <laughs> and I went running and I, I typed on Strava app like the title of my run was something like yep I still have a titanium rod in my leg because <laughs> I broke my leg like I don't know how long ago it was 10 or so years ago jumping on trampolines at this place called Jump Sky High in California and uh, had it not I mean it it shattered it pretty good my tib fib open compound fracture uh, ambulance visit surgery and everything um all for student leadership retreat it was all worth it i think one of the things the images that comes to mind is they basically put this titanium rod down the middle sorry to gross you out listeners they shish kebab <laughs> the bone like down this rod but here's the thing like the rod this man-made rod does nothing to heal it except get the bone close to each other like so it just gets the bone to touch and the healing is like this <laughs> magical thing god does uh for me that's just like a total imagery another imagery of spiritual disciplines and spiritual growth like i have no control over growing up spiritually being coming more mature transforming my life i can't heal myself mm -hmm. but confession this man-made this human-made process of spilling my innermost you know secret parts of me to another entrusting them with this vulnerability it's almost like that titanium rod that scoots the bone close to each other so like puts us in the path of forgiveness and healing which is what god does which we could never do and god did in jesus on the cross basically so i that image for me is like this uh a good reminder of like any discipline but this one in particular is not my way of manufacturing healing in my own life but putting myself in the path of god's healing yeah i don't know what that was an answer to this is mostly all no, no, this that's... Is in the in the individual confession realm so not even talking yeah. about corporate or national stuff yet yeah 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 and i think um it's really interesting because yes um our last episode when we talked with uh pastor gabby she talked about St. Ignatius who had this life altering moment when a cannonball yeah. like exploded That's his totally leg. Right. I forgot. About uh, that. And so, so basically what we're talking about is like in a hundred years, it's going to be St. Russell yep. um, that we're learning from. Luckily um, I live in the 21st century leg. where it wasn't yeah, a, death, <laughs> yes. a fatal wound. And <laughs> I still, I can yeah. run today. It's pretty cool. I have healing. But I have I shalom in my bone. And the thing that for me, maybe is, um, I mean, there's a lot of things that are instructive in what you just shared, but also there's this sense where um, even even though that that healing is something that um, came from uh, 
you know, the, the bones getting close enough to each other to be able to then meet in the midst of that, that trauma that happened. Like you still now years later, you still remember uh-huh. it. It still is a marker in your life. It's still something that you even sometimes right. feel right. And, and, and for me, I think one of the things that I've always wrestled with in confession is, you know, I was taught as a kid, like you, you confess your sins. Uh, Jesus is faithful to forgive you your sins. And Jesus himself, you know, in essence, like wipes, wipes your slate clean. Like those things are forgotten. But then as a human, I, I continue to replay these things in my mind over and over again and, and can get caught in some ways in this kind of like guilt loop. That's like, okay, I know I'm forgiven yet. Also, I, I still remember that I did this and that's part of who mm-hmm. I am. And, and, and I, I, I guess I, what I wonder is how, how do you, when you become someone who's regularly practicing confession, how do you also move from that confession to a place of living as uh, in, in the knowledge that your sins are forgiven, yeah. right? That, that it has washed your, your slate clean, that you have become in the eyes of Jesus, one who is not just restored back to health, but who is sent to do God's work. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because it fits right in with um this concept that some might call being a wounded healer as well. So, and, and, and also in the 12 step movement, one of the steps further down is that part of your healing is actually offering healing to others. Like, so some of the best people that I would encourage you or I, or anybody to confess to is people who have had to confess things in their life. So in, in the 12 step movement, You have sponsors, basically, people who can walk with you through recovery because they've gone through it themselves and they still have the scars to show it, basically. So like what you're saying is like maybe you'll always have those scars, like maybe Peter will always remember that time that he denied Jesus or, you know, these other examples in Scripture. And that helped him to become like a healer in the church, the new brand new early church to be somebody who was not judgmental when people would uh, falter in their faith or, but that he would come alongside them and he would be a great person to join together in mutual confession with uh, yeah. same thing. Like in today's world, whether, whether it's a destructive behavior, habit, feeling thought um, that you're going through some of the best people to get in mutuality and confession with, I think are the ones who've been wounded by some of those same things behaviors and stuff like that that's what i think that is at the core of like celebrate recovery and other kind of uh groups like that that you're kind of all in this together it's one it's one beggar pointing the other beggar to the bread so Mm -hmm. it's not that i have it all figured out i've never had that problem or or whatever we all are like recovering from sin to me that's like that word recovery is like a great synonym for salvation at some level um, mm. but yeah, I think, I don't know if that answers the question line that you were yeah. going with, but, Good. uh, then there's like this, not this next level thinking I've been doing a lot over the last, I don't know, ministry years, the last decade or so of what about confession on a bigger scale than just me, myself and I, me and my own mm-hmm. personal devotional life and my own inward heart this there's sin at that level there's severed you know relationship there but there's also like national sin there's also like corporate separation i was just 
thinking about it today with like our ongoing uh, recovery as a country with, from racism, which, which is mm. deeply, it's a deep break in the bone for our country from, from hundreds of years. And it even pops up even now during a pandemic, you know, you have our friend Jenny and her friends uh, pulling together, like bringing awareness that we need to have confession as a body of Christ about racism when it pops, when and where it pops up uh, to just name it. And sometimes just naming it is over half the battle, just shining light on this. Hey, people are being attacked for being Asian right now because or Asian American or Asian because of this fear and the threat of this virus and they're find need to find somebody to blame and so they just kind of profile people and uh, yeah. that's like a deep sin of our corporate life together as a country that i don't know if we've ever really i mean we've i think there's been a lot of work tried to uh, attempted in terms of national confession or big scale confession but that's something you see in the old testament for sure like Kings and Chronicles, like these call for f big fasts and confession of sin. That yeah. I don't know if the Americanized way of Christianity today, we sometimes lean so far individualistic. We forget, hey, we also need to corporately confess that we have severed relationships. We have a problem. Like our churches, when we gather, we're pretty much segregated and we don't know where that comes from. Uh, and I'm just using racism as one one of many examples, but um, it's so prevalent. It keeps popping up. Uh, it's almost like we haven't used the, the titanium rod yet of um, confession as this way to get, get us in the path of healing for that. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts yeah. on the, the collective yeah. level? Yeah, I think about this story of Jonah and how um, Jonah goes to Nineveh and 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 really, you know, half-heartedly and maybe even like quarter-heartedly, uh, you know, asks them to repent and and is expecting there to be no repentance. Um, and and the king orders, the king of Nineveh orders everyone to right. repent. Right. I mean, it's like this national repentance. And uh, and and there is a sense in that of like, I, mean, I can imagine someone being like, well, actually, I haven't really done that much. You know, I, I'm, I've done you know, pretty good. I'm, I'm not a part of this group who, who are living in sin, who are doing these really horrible things. Um, and, and yet there being this sort of collective approach to confessing our sin as, as a nation, right? As a, a group of people. Um, I think, you know, my tendency, and, and it's certainly not a, a great tendency, because I know it's not totally true. But my tendency, when someone talks about you know, uh, for instance, the racism that Asian Americans are facing during this COVID-19 pandemic is to say, well, I have not been racist towards uh, Asians or Asian Americans. And so therefore, like, I'm I'm happy to bring awareness to it, but I I don't feel like I have anything I need to confess right. of. And, um, and and that's sort of like the individual right. approach. But you're right, there is this sort of collect like. I am a part of a larger group of people, yeah. right? Maybe it's because of me being a white male. I'm a part of a larger group of people who, as a larger group of people, do things, have done things, do things now, will do things that that cause great harm and suffering to other people. And and I can join in confession of those sins, even if I myself have not 
you know, been a perpetrator of them. But even really, if I get down to like the recesses of my heart, like I can still, I think when I enter into those times of like corporate confession, I'm also made aware of, of things in my own life that I wasn't aware of. I'd turn a blind eye towards Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. And, and and it's absolutely, you're, you're right. It's biblical. Um, It's, uh, it's healthy for us to have that sort of collectivist or, or, you know, corporate confession. Yeah. uh, I like how you notice the interplay, the marriage between the individualistic and the collectivist culture within the global body of crisis. Cause when I jump into corporate or collective confession, I am, I am given the gift of noticing maybe what I need to individually confess or be open or shine Mm -hmm. the light on or hold in the light, so to speak. Uh, Cause it's like in these shadows or in the hidden unspoken places, that's where the severed relationship will never heal or that it will never, it just kind of, yeah. It, you see the deformity the the opposite of Shalom happening and for God to re Shalom things. Uh, yeah. We need both individual and this collective um, confession tool to kind of shine the light on it. I, I yeah. mentioned some large, I just mentioned large books of Bible, but I was, I wrote down first Kings eight thirty three and second Chronicles six. Those are some of the locations where I think I was reading the other day about uh, when thinking about confession about there's also this big mm. corporate or collective tradition, national tradition almost. Yeah. I, on the good. flip. So maybe if I had a four quadrants on a piece of paper and you had a line down the middle and a line across uh, I would I would put at the, each end of those poles, you could have individual and collective on one of them. And the other one, I think you could also, and this is me kind of theorizing on, on live as we go, on the other on mm-hmm. the other axes, I would also put, there's like this sin and vulnerability side to confession, but there's also this faith and strength and positive side. Like I also need to, when I'm gathered with the body of Christ, confess faith. Uh, say I identify yeah. with Jesus, the Christ, the King, whether I feel like he's King or not right now, that I'm putting my individual feelings in, in the moment. And this is where I think liturgical traditions have helped me as somebody who grew up pretty low church. It's like day, week in, week out, um, I'm going to pray with one voice with a bigger group that I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, you know, and I'm not just going to pray it when i feel like it so that to me i don't know do you think anything about that what about the positive side of confession is that a thing or am i yeah. just making that up I, I think i think that is a thing and i guess that comes into play for me when i see christians doing or saying things that i don't agree with that it's really hard for mm-hmm. me to in in that moment you're like i also am a christian yeah. right i mean they're there is a discipline in, in confessing. I am a follower of Christ, even, um, you know, it's easy to do so when the things that I'm, I'm wanting to connect with or with which I'm wanting to resonate are things that I just, you know, am wholeheartedly behind. But but when I, when I, (laughs) sure. When I see people who, you know, are proclaiming, you know, faith in Christ doing and saying things that are what I feel sort of, and antithetical to who Jesus was or what he did or what he taught, then I'm, you know, the confession of faith for me is like, ugh, I don't know if I want to yeah, do yeah. that. And, and to be able to, in the midst of, 
in the midst of that still proclaim like, yes, I am a follower of Christ. Yes, I do believe in God. And I think so part of it's that. And also, I think part of it for me is like there are times where professing faith in God is like all that I can do. Like, you know, I may feel like my faith is weak or that I'm in a trial and to be able to still confess with my lips. um, You know, it's the kind of thing where like uh, if I don't want to do something, I I just feel it deeply within me. I don't want to do I don't want to go for a run. Right. Um, I totally know. uh, But I. Yeah, I yeah. I, but you've been doing it that's so good but then i just go do it right there's a sense where like the internal shifts and i'm like actually i really i really am glad i'm doing this right it, it becomes something so like pro- professing you know confessing faith in jesus with my lips even at times when my heart may not mm-hmm. feel it um works to then you know delve deeply you know that confession with my lips delve deeply down into my heart into my psyche into my soul to to take root in times when i feel like you know my faith is not mm-hmm. very deeply rooted i think the uh, the common denominator for me across whether it's individual or collective confession or whether it's confessing of sin and that or confessing faith the common, den- common denominator for me across all of it is is uh vulnerability so sometimes when I'm confessing brokenness and such, uh, or if I'm confessing faith, it's only, it's probably better termed or identified as confession when it's vulnerable to do so rather than I'm not talking about like I'm confessing on, sure, on yeah. social media yeah, yeah. my faith yeah. because I gotta win this argument. It's more like, oh, yeah. I, I need to I need to confess that I do believe in this. People might not know that I like you said. And that could be done at the individual level or the, or the collective level. I think maybe I need to yeah. pony up as an individual to also say, you know, there are times I have doubts or I have times that I have uh, yeah. seasons of winter, spring and summer and fall in my faith, but I am still a person of faith following the faith of Jesus. And I have faith in Jesus. And to say that out loud, yeah. there's something that That's happens good. when you name it and say it. So we're being joined here That's by good. Captain yeah, Jack, I like whose, whose office I have uh, have commandeered. <laughs> That's Jack. He's five. He's full of faith. And me and Jack have have hey, uh, of confession every night. We read books like BFG, and we talk about big things about life. And Jack has a lot of good things off. Can good. I borrow your office for a little bit? It's good. <laughs> Recording. Maybe, uh, maybe as we wrap up our conversation, Rusty, and maybe Jack has something to add in as well. What, what are, you know, what's one or two uh, yeah. practical things that you can suggest to our listeners for stepping into this discipline? Yeah, I was going to venture to practicality. Like, so being practical about it, um, in our circles, probably like non-denominational, evangelical, Pentecostal circles that we run across, um, we, we tend to do ours in small groups, accountability groups, accountability partners, or pastoral counseling, all good things. And I would say, like, just as, I think it's helpful for people maybe to think in two categories. You have, like, these, these, in, these relational environments that are kind of one-sided confession, where I'm doing most of the confessions, someone, usually a, a professional or, or a sponsor or, like, a wounded healer type is receiving my confession, and they're trained to do so or they've through their life have learned how to do it and that's okay. But I don't Mm. think you only want those all the time. And there's not enough professionals in the world for everybody. 
then there's also these other relational environments that are like peer to peer or uh, mutual confession, like where it only works if everybody's on board to get really real. Mm-hmm. Um, I think men's yeah. groups, women's groups, uh, like I said, 12 step or recovery groups, um, small groups, those kind of things, as long as there are some parameters set, um, confidentiality things, safe space, brave space, what's said here doesn't leave here, all those kind of good practical things to start with. You just have to hold people's vulnerabilities with care and, tr- and keep the trust there, which means listening without judgment, definitely not passing that on in any way, like not even through prayer requests to others, like when somebody's sharing their, um, their confession with you. And then there's like yeah. tools, I think. Um, I think of like what our office does in terms of pastoral counseling and spiritual direction. I think there's there are people who have given their lives and vocation to helping people encounter the healing and transformational power of God through disciplines like confession. And one un, um, surprising little tool that I've ventured into the last probably 10 years or so is the Enneagram, which is another good thing to, to, to frame as it's not the thing that heals. It's just another tool. It's just another titanium rod in the leg, so to speak. Or maybe it helps me get to the hospital. Maybe it's the ambulance yep. to get yep. me to the titanium rod. Because like coming to grips with being an Enneagram 4, which took me a long time, was like denial busting. It was uh, for me to confess regularly, even sometimes on social media, that here's me being a 4. I have this tendency to think it's all about me or to need to be unique and special. Every time I say that... Um, to people to students i am like kind of taking its power away a little bit i'm confessing it just when i acknowledge it yeah and i own up to it and i still don't but at the same time i just uh, still rest in my faith that i don't have to be ashamed of that that's just part of me it's the it's the black keys that go with the white keys on the piano all the majors and minor chords they play a song of my life so um i think even tools like that if you use it just as a tool, you can't glorify the Enneagram, the Enneagram or those kind of tools, personality inventories. They don't do the healing. They, they're they not the transforming uh, God. They are a tool that can be used by the spirit, I think, if uh, done wisely. And the, and the end goal of that thing is not to find your type, honestly. I think the end goal is to break through denial, own up to some things that you might not otherwise see. And... Uh, let it carry you to let it carry you closer to shalom. Let it, let it carry you closer yeah. to the healer. Those are some thoughts, practical. That's good. What about you? Those are great. Yeah, and I, I think uh, the you know the journey to wholeness does involve uh, right. time, right? And recognizing that there is there is time. Like confession is not a magic bullet that is going to restore me to health. It's not going to satisfy all of the things that i'm experiencing all the pain um that it is there are many steps to it there there is you know we experience shalom not just from one particular thing that we do but in in finding all of the ways in which our relationships with god and with each other are are broken or somehow um distorted and and seeking you know step by step really to to um, invite God into those to invite others into those and to, to find healing in that. So that's nice. good brother. 
Well, this, this has been a great conversation. Um, and we even had an extra yeah. guest um, come in, which I uh, was so exciting. I have to tell Jack, <laughs> thank you for that. Can't you know. And uh, as always, you can find us on Spotify and on every other platform in which you can find podcasts. We are the university pastors at George Fox University and are so glad that you joined us for this conversation. The Spillcast is a production of the Office for Spiritual Life at George Fox University. You can find us on Instagram at GFU Spill, on Facebook at George Fox Spiritual Life, and online at www.georgefox.edu backslash spiritual life. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Thanks.